The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. For a lot of us, um, I would say life can often feel mundane. We wake up, we go to work, we come home, we eat dinner, we watch TV, we go to bed. We get stuck in these routines that can start to feel pointless. With what you guys have talked about tonight, how do we engage well in those moments? How do we know, how do we understand that those moments are meaningful and that we are bearing God's image when life feels that way? Okay, I'll try. Uh, The the biggest thing is just because we're finite, we do get bored. And we can be doing the most, if, if you hovered six inches above the ground to work every day, you'd be bored of that in a week. I mean, it's just, if you had feathered wings and you could fly, you'd get bored of that. Uh, it's, it's amazing what we can do, and it's amazing that we're shoving things in our faces in order to power our thoughts and our memories and our motions through this world on this planet going around a star. So as, as far as it goes, how do, how do you keep from getting sucked into the mundane or just being bored? Just remember. Mm-hmm. Like, keep your eyes open. Remember what you're doing. You know, pay attention to the, those, those little by-rote tasks that you're doing as you brush your teeth every night, scrubbing the bones that are visible in the open hole in your face. <laughs> See, I feel like I Just... want you to follow me around, <laughs> reminding me of everything that I do. That's, yeah, just, just remember. Like, meditate and remember. Andy, any thoughts? Well, I think as a musician, I have a bit of a challenge of that when I play box prelude number one. I mean, it's very simple. I acquired the technique to play it when I was probably 12 or 13, and I've played it hundreds of times. I've done it for audiences many times and explained it. And, and there's always the question, how do I keep this, even this very simple thing, as real as can be? And I, I don't know that there's any trick at all. I think it's that you always try to open yourself up to wonder and to pain, actually. And you don't always have to explicitly say that, so I don't think I said anything explicit about pain. But any joke about disorder and disharmony is accessing pain. And so I have to be willing to just enjoy whatever's coming out of that piece and also sense the ways in which that piece is touching my longing, my sense of incompleteness, and, and then also my, my failure to perform it. Uh, so I'm always missing something when I play it. And actually, the, the lack or the limitations that I have actually are a pathway to, under, to seeing it for what it is and seeing it for how beautiful it is. That's good. I feel like you guys are answering all the questions that I've already written down. Let me try here. Here's what I was going to ask next. We have a variety of vocations represented in this room. We have baristas and lawyers and doctors and you, you name it. We've got them here. Um, what I was going to ask is um, how is their work, why is all work meaningful? <laughs> and when you talk about playing the piano, right, there's somebody who says, yes, I have made a white mocha frappuccino 50 times today, and I right. don't want to make another one. What, yeah. do, what do you tell them in that moment? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Quit? Yeah. <laughs> well, sort of. So I would not say all work is meaningful, 
because we live in the, po in the industrial or post-industrial age, which tried to turn human beings into machines. It tried to move up and to the left in that little diagram I drew. And to the extent that your work, that all of it, all that it asks of you is that you are a very sort of high-functioning part of a machine, whether it's a cappuccino machine or a factory uh, assembly line, and it does not provide you the opportunity to add both order and abundance to the world, it is subhuman work, and it's not that meaningful. Now, obviously, many human beings, that's the only choice they have, given our world, but I don't think we should pretend that all work is the way it was meant to be. And post-industrial work is broken in that way. That being said, in almost every setting that we work, there is one domain where there is an opportunity to add order and abundance, and that's in our relationships with the people around us. So even if you did make that mocha frappuccino, well, right now it would be pumpkin spice lattes, right, over and over, which is a kind of abomination, I think. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> So woe to the person who makes 50 pumpkin spice lattes. It is supposed to be the same every time, I get that. But the person you're handing it to, even in that one moment, let alone the people working with you behind the bar there, are not machines. And so finding ways to reverence them as not machines and make some abundance in the midst of that, and actually I think Starbucks would encourage that, in fact, would, would see the value of that. Just to, to pile on there, I agree completely about the pumpkin spice lattes. Yeah. And then... <laughs> That's also, not fair. Never mind. Also, I do. I'm, I'm right with you on that one. It's just a little much. And, Go ahead. And, and the peppermint. The peppermint November. Oh, just right, wait. Right. Just wait. But um, <laughs> basically, I, I, as far as it goes, when you have the mundane, when you really are just like pulling one lever right. and just pulling the one lever over and over and over again, you have to contextualize it. So like Andy's saying, as far as the relationships go and the other people there, but also why are you there? And for whom are you there? Yeah, yeah, and how do, you, how do you make the fact that if it is, if you're truly one of the ones doing a subhuman job, and I think we could plumb the depths far below barista, like barista, like it's relative, there's many, many people who would love to have that job. Sure. But if you found yourself in a truly subhuman job, the way you beautify that, and the way you, the way you beautify being there, your presence there, is by seeing it for what it is. It's like that you're stooping, you're here, but for whom and to what end? And so nobody can stoop lower than Christ did. And, and pulling, making a pumpkin spice latte is hardly the cross. But it is a sacrifice if you're doing it that many times a day. Just make sure that it's a sacrifice for someone, for, for huh. others, for people. Wow. And bring meaning to it that way. And bring joy to it. Like you're there for a reason. You're bringing this money. It's for your grandma. It's for your mom. It's for, um, even if it's just for your rent, um, if it's for your rent, then what are you for, and what are you doing, and what are you using your life, uh, you know, to what end are you using your life, and so on. So I think even as bad as it gets, it, in context and narrative, the worse it is, sometimes the more glorious it is. So if you have a super sexy, awesome job, and you're doing it for others, uh, you know, thanks a lot. Uh, but if you're actually, like, shouldering a major burden, and you're doing this thing... They just, you know, plant it, use it, plant a seed in that compost, and uh, it's, it's, it is very rich soil. Put some poo in it, if you will. Yes, it is, but the point is it is already. <laughs> Great. Um, we have about 35 small groups that meet across the city every week and talk about uh, what happened on Sunday, share life with each other, share a meal, pray with each other. Um, we put on these symposiums in part 
to help shape the conversations that are happening in those groups. If you were, if you, if just the group leaders were here in the room, what would you be telling them? What would you want them to be talking about based on your talks tonight? Hmm. Give it back to yeah. Oh, really? Just, just the group leaders? You can talk Everybody to anybody. Else. Anybody. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I honestly, I would say, don't be afraid of conflict. Hmm. <laughs> There's like, as Annie just mentioned, as far as the, the pain, even in beauty, it's not going to be strawberry shortcake ever. Uh, nor should it be. Like good stories always have conflict, tension, pain, always. Good art always has that kind of yearning because we live in a fallen world and we're yearning for uh, ultimately the new heavens and the new earth. And Christians can flinch away from all those moments. It can be very really uncomfortable. If you're in a leadership position of any kind, you're going to come in, you're going to be the one who gets to see the story more fully than the participants of conflict. Uh, and just and do what you can to push it through to true resolution. But don't be afraid of it, and don't think something's going wrong when there's tension, pain, and conflict. It's, there's nothing going wrong. That's the way God made the world. There's something going wrong when you fail to bring it you know, in, into uh, mm. a resolution. Mm. That's great. Anything to add on to that? Well, maybe just a different line of thought would be also, I, and I, what, this is what I loved about what you did, Nate, is just constantly pushing to see everything in our lives as within the scope of what we're here to do as church, rather than there are a few topics that, that we focus on and then we, we ignore these huge parts of our lives that, that are really central to who we are, whether it's our leisure, which is like our me time that somehow we aren't accountable for to others, or our work. And, and unfortunately, churches have been good at helping people with a few demands, but in every domain of your life, you're, you are potentially um, bringing healthy order and discovering extraordinary abundance. Or you're not, and you're stuck in chaos or a machine, or maybe nothing. Uh, Neil. And, um, and the, the task of discipleship is to move out of that, and we need each other's help to, you know, gosh, I'm just feeling in my work like I'm just, it's just rote. Or there's a lot of chaos right now. What new structure do I need in my life, or in my workplace, or but for that matter, and how I spend my Thursday nights, you know, yeah. That's great. And speaking the truth in love being the primary vehicle through which that conflict is addressed. Would you agree with that statement? Any thoughts to add on to that? Well, it's hard to say no to that one. <laughs> well, it's from the Bible. <laughs> speaking, speaking the truth in love. Yes. Yeah. Can I get a, just a head nod? Sure. No, <laughs> I'll endorse that also. Actually, I would say, though, just... Uh, I think I can't remember where Chesterton said it, but he, he did say it somewhere. If people are accusing you of being too fat and too thin and too tall and too short, then you're standing where you should be. And if you are really, if you are actually in a point, a pain point, as a leader, not as a not as somebody who has a, a trial going on or something like that or some hardship or conflict, uh, but if you're there and you're wading in to a conflict to try to bring resolution, there's almost always a phase where everyone hates you. It's like if you're picking sides, then it's, you know, something went wrong. But if you're talking to each person about what they have to work on, so if you're talking to people about what you need to work on and what you need to work on, pretty soon one's yelling you're too fat one's yelling you're too thin, and that's a good moment. Hang on to that moment. Hmm.